Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 83. Today's episode is all about sparking creativity. There are no mistakes. And I think there's also the paradox to that perhaps there are mistakes as well and make a whole bunch of them. And this is what happens when you create and you innovate. Embrace this paradox and allow yourself to ruin it, so to speak, or what I call creating the ugly painting, or maybe it's that awful first draft. But that is part of the creative process. And these so-called ugly paintings, I believe, may be the nascent embryonic forms of new work trying to come through. Or that draft that's awful is the nascent form. It's something trying to be expressed, and we need to allow that. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means we grow the show faster, which means better guests and more value for you. Plus, everyone could use a little more mind love. Hi, friends and wild women. What do you think of when you hear the word creative? Do you consider yourself a creative person? Or do you feel like you've lost a lot of your creativity as you've aged? Honestly, I think most of the population feels like they used to be creative as a kid and somehow they've lost it. But what if I told you that creativity is critical to innovation? It's a key part of business success. And really, unless you have a to-do list laid out for you every single day with every step that you need to do, creativity actually helps you survive the day. And if you think I'm exaggerating, The idea to put on a sock when your foot is cold is a creative idea. Sure, it might not be a 10 on the creativity scale, but it's an idea. If some of you out there are thinking, oh great, I'm screwed. I am not creative at all. How am I supposed to live to the end of this Tuesday? Don't worry, everyone has the ability to be creative. I mean everyone, it's innate in each one of us. If you can think of an idea, even a bad one, you're creative. Actually, you might even be more creative if you think of a bad idea because, come on, the first response would be, where the hell did that come from? And somehow, only you would know. Creativity is just finding an idea or solution that works by either experimenting or playing or just throwing things out there. And professional creativity is when you can turn these new and imaginative ideas into reality. And so here's the thing. A lot of us just stumble into states of creativity, kind of how sometimes you wake up in a bad mood. But it takes practice to learn to consciously drop into specific brain states. And it takes even more practice to learn to stay there for specific periods of time. And then it takes even more practice to override your current mood 
or the doubt you're feeling or failure and trust that you've got this. You can do this. You can create anything. So that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Nancy Hillis. She's a professional creative. She's actually an abstract artist and Stanford-trained psychiatrist, which is really cool because Nancy guides artists to create their deepest, most authentic art through her signature approach, which combines art and psychiatry. So she really understands how our brains work and how to get them to create what we desire. Three key things we will learn are all about the inner landscape of creating, how our own fear and resistance gets in the way of creating, and the importance of your ugly first drafts, sketches, paintings, or ideas. Before we dive in, I want to make sure you know about the morning mind love. It's the easiest way to start each day with a little reminder about how magical you really are. I get messages from people every single day about how the morning mind love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that just came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided affirmation meditation to align your subconscious with your highest self, and you'll get a really cool booklet of Powerless so you can start getting clear on what you want and what really makes you happy. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Nancy Hillis to the show. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for inviting me here. So first, I'm curious, when did you first know that you wanted to be an artist? Most kids feel like they're an artist at some point, but a lot of us don't end up taking that through to adulthood. So how was that journey for you? Right. That's a really interesting question because I, as a child, would mark up all the pieces of paper in the house and I would take red and purple crayons and color the rocks and the tree bark out in my backyard. And But then I went on and did other things and became a physician. And that was a whole journey in itself. But interestingly enough, uh, when I was in Boston, Massachusetts, I was at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and I was a radiology resident, I started feeling this yearning to go home and write poetry and paint abstract watercolors. So it kind of like started getting activated later in life in terms of you know, art in terms of painting. I mean, I did other kinds of art such as drama and improvisational theater and that sort of thing. But it kind of showed up later and it, and it wouldn't let go of me. What do you think that drive or that yearning was coming from? I think that it's this deep desire to get at the ineffable, the inarticulable, and that you know, with kind of the mystery. And I feel like art really gets at that. And it's kind of the creative urge. There's a feeling of aliveness with that. And so I think that, you know, was there kind of bubbling under the surface for years. It's interesting because when I create something that I'm really proud of, and it might not show up in a typical artistic fashion, but sometimes it's some logo I created online or even just through my podcast, there's something so deeply satisfying about creating something 
from your heart and soul. It just feels expressive. Yes. I feel like it brings us alive. It's this quickening, this sense of activating meaning. And so I think it's really vital. And I also believe that there's infinite forms of creativity. You say that it brings meaning out. But one thing that's interesting to me is I know you create a lot of abstract art. And there are some people out there who don't understand abstract art. So where is the meaning out of something that you can look at that doesn't necessarily have just a black and white meaning? Right. So the abstract art, it's not necessarily about a narrative, a story, a rendering of something recognizable, but rather it's a kind of trusting in the truth of your own expression, of your own gesture, of your particular lexicon of mark making and the intelligence in your body. And so it's not about a kind of literal, linear, recognizable form or story, but it's about expression and emotion and a feeling that's beyond words. And I feel like the abstract painting really kind of lends itself to kind of what I talk about, which is the inarticulable, that which is beyond words. So that's a very interesting question. I read that your work in psychiatry has even been influenced by your art. How so? Yes. Well, they kind of influence each other back and forth in this kind of spiral loop. And they're both getting at that to me, which is kind of the mystery, which is like these are different forms of expression to come in and talk. If you're the client in psychotherapy or the therapist, there's this stepping into the unknown that happens. You never know what's going to come up. And I think that's where the magic is in the session. And likewise, when you're creating, when you're really creating, you're stepping into the unknown, the terra incognita, and you are seeing what emerges and being surprised by what shows up. So they're kind of inform each other. I know that sitting across from a client in session has often shown up in my work, especially when I was doing more kind of abstracted figures and different feelings that people were going through. Like, for example, one person was going through a breakup and I was very moved by their story. And later I found myself painting a figure who was had a lot of angst of feeling in that image. That's so interesting. I think what's interesting about being an artist is, like I said before, a lot of us grow up when we're children, we have this like boundless creativity. And then we start to lose it along the way. Why do you think that is? Well, along the way, if you observe children, yes, they're just completely unfettered and clear. They know what they want to express. They know when they want to stop. If you ask them why they're doing this, they just say, because I want to. (laughs) They're unapologetic. And then I think what begins to happen is seemingly around fourth grade or so in particular, and this is also usually around the age of nine or 10. And even in Waldorf education, they talk a lot about that age of nine or 10. There can be this kind of awakening 
I think it was Rudolf Steiner talked about it, of kind of an increasing awareness of the world outside of themselves and some disillusionment can come in there. I think that's part of it. I think another part is there's increasing focus on in schools on achievement and grades and kind of extrinsic validation. Others saying how to draw, how to paint, grading that. So this kind of external critic or judge out there. And I think the children start to become aware of that. And then that increases, of course, as we keep moving along <laughs> life's journey. It's so true. I remember loving art when I was younger, and I've always been pretty creative or artistic. Yes. But then there was a period around that time that you said, around fourth grade, I believe, that I started to compare my work to other people's. And that's what really changed because I remember this kid, Joseph, who I swear was drawing like somebody that had been doing it for a living for their whole life. He was amazing. I can still picture some of his art. And so then I started just thinking, well, oh, that must be what it's like when somebody's really, really good, which means this is just for fun for me. Maybe it's not what I'm supposed to do. Yes. It's the language of comparison. It's we start to notice outside of ourselves and begin to compare. And this is something that I work with artists on continually is basically it's all these experiences of comparison, of of feeling not good enough, of self-doubt, and really kind of trying to get back to that freedom that we had as children. Which is easier said than done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because then it starts out as these voices outside of ourselves, where it might be other kids saying our work isn't good. And then that those voices start to live within our own heads, where I've been creating a keynote speech. And wow, there was a lot of writing and a lot of creative process that went into this. But while learning this, there was this whole level of be okay with what they called the shitty first draft. <laughs> and so you have to just write, but it is so hard not to want to be editing as you're going, but you can't get into flow that way. And so you're going back and forth between this logical mind and this creative expression, which just doesn't work. And then the amount of hours that I'd just be sitting there staring at the blank page was painful. Mm. That is so true. And it's like, there's this conversation between the spontaneous and the considered. And I write as well. So I've found this in writing and I've found this in abstract painting. And that is to go in there with, in painting, we talk about stream of consciousness mark making, or to stay in that intuitive state right off at the beginning. Also, as I've been writing, also trying to stay in that place where you just allow, you allow the expression to come through, the gesture to come through, the words to come through, the story to come through, and you try to get out of the way. And so there's this allowing. And then at some point, yes, you come in with some consideration, some perhaps editing. And even in painting, we talk about editing at some point. But we want to come into that editing and that consideration with the same kind of energy that influenced that flow state, that influenced that spontaneity. And it's very subtle. We can talk about it, but it's something you have to can continually work with and experience. And you start to kind of feel it. 
But the danger is when the internal critic steps in, I'm imagining you writing this keynote and I can only imagine <laughs> what kinds of thoughts you know come in there because I get that as well. Yeah, I don't think I've ever felt so accomplished and so discouraged in one creative process in my life. It was intense. <laughs> And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. In your book, The Artist's Journey, and on your blog, you talk a lot about the inner landscape of creating. What is this and why is it important? Yes. So the inner landscape, it's the interior dialogue. It's the state that you're in. It's the feelings that you have. It's what you say to yourself. It is also the dialogue between the spontaneous and the considered. It's the part to really kind of the perils of creating, which are essentially kind of self-doubt, inner criticism, second-guessing, overthinking, resignation. (laughs) (laughs) All of those fears that creating brings up, they just seem to be inherent in creating because we're really stepping into the unknown continually. Yeah, I wonder how much of it is that when you are being artistic or when you're creating anything, it's this piece of yourself that you're somehow bringing out of you and making it concrete. And so for me, there's been times where I get afraid to draw with pen, for example, because there's no ability to go erase and fix the perfections. And it's just so interesting Mm -hmm. in how that plays with life where we're so afraid of making these little mistakes. So how much are we keeping ourselves leashed up, afraid that we're going to project ourselves out into the world, not completely perfect. That's right. 
I mean, talk about vulnerability (laughs) (laughs) to show up, to increase your surface area, to be seen, to make the invisible visible is incredibly scary and threatening. And so part of all of this is to recognize that, to understand that this is the state of how it is, that yes, it's going to be terrifying. And yet somehow to hold your own hand and go ahead anyway, even though you're terrified. And it's really interesting. We have these fears. I'm going to ruin it. I'm going to make a mistake. You know, I'm going to humiliate myself. And the interesting thing is that I think that there's a paradoxical language of creating. And to me, it's kind of, there's so many paradoxes. And one of the paradoxes is there are no mistakes and there are lots of mistakes. So make as many as you can. So Miles Davis, the great improvisational jazz musician, said there are no mistakes. And I think there's also the paradox that perhaps there are mistakes as well and make a whole bunch of them. And this is what happens when you create and you innovate. And it's almost like to really wrap your mind around this idea that it's almost like embrace this, embrace this paradox and allow yourself to ruin it, so to speak, or what I call creating the ugly painting, or maybe it's that awful first draft. But that is part of the creative process. And these so-called ugly paintings, I believe, may be the nascent embryonic forms of new work trying to come through. Or that draft that's awful is the nascent form. It's something trying to be expressed, and we need to allow that. With painting, though, it's so much harder to go back. Whereas with my ugly first draft, I was able to go and it's on the computer. So I'm able to just edit and go through things and remove. So when you're creating something that's already out there, that's on this canvas, what is your process? Do you just go through multiple ugly paintings? Do you keep trying to fix the ugly painting to get it to something more beautiful? Like when do you give up or how is that process? That's a great question. (laughs) There are lots of ways of approaching this. And one of the ways that I approach it and I encourage others to consider is to work in a series so that not one painting is precious. So we work in a series, we create many quote unquote starts, painting starts, lots of starts. I might have five or 20 paintings in various stages going on at any particular time so that it's okay if one of these or a few of these are ugly or most of these are ugly. I actually might find five months down the road that what I thought was ugly is actually something exciting to me. So that's an interesting thing. Some of these ugly paintings actually turn out to be just fantastic. Others never work. And that's part of the process. Some of our paintings never work. And that actually is kind of essential to this process. So it's kind of like then what I'll tend to do in the series is allow some paintings to be really raw and kind of unfinished, so to speak, and then others to be further developed. Again, I'm not too caught up in any one particular painting. I love that. And I think it's so indicative of just everyday life where we are afraid of those imperfections and we're afraid of 
appearing ugly or putting anything ugly out there, especially with the rate of how we're able to connect with people now. Where Think about it. 10 years ago, it was so much harder to see the work of somebody across the world. Now you go on Instagram and you automatically see all of these things and you don't even know what's real. <laughs> and people, <laughs> you know, you don't know what is even somebody's real face anymore or if they used an app to tune away their double chin. So it's just so interesting about, I love the just freedom and liberation of being okay with creating something ugly and even putting it out there, you know, not having to hide it and be embarrassed of it. Because when we all become embarrassed of our ugliness, then we're all just going to be afraid to show our humanness. Yes, that is so well put. We become silenced and kind of involuting, you know, we kind of involute inwards and kind of hide out. And so a big part of working in a creative field is allowing, allowing, continually allowing the pieces that are challenging, the pieces that terrify us, the pieces that turn us off, even the pieces that don't work out, and really realizing that they're crucial to our process of continually evolving our work. And what we're really talking about here is deep experimentation. And this is what artists do. So a lot of people might think, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not an artist or I'm not that creative. But what would you say to that? Because I believe that even in our most logistical fields of work, you can't really exist in this lifetime without having creative expression. So do you see us all as being creators? Yes, absolutely. I believe that we tell ourselves, I'm not that creative. I'm not an artist. I'm not a writer. I'm not a musician. Whatever it is, we somehow got to that point and told ourselves this story. And yet, our whole lives are creative. Having a child is, and parenting is probably one of the most creative things you can do. Parenting, hanging out with children, <laughs> cooking is incredibly creative. And it goes on and on. And so I think we've got to really, really challenge the mindset, the words, the inner narrative we say to ourselves of, well, I'm not creative or I'm not that creative. Again, that's that language of comparison. We see it in all the different fields, scientists going into the lab. It's continually asking questions and stepping into the unknown. And we're each stepping into the unknown in our lives. So just living is a creative experience. There's something that kind of struck me about science the other day, because I saw two people having an argument and somebody said something like a theory they had, and the other person just wanted proof. And because we have so much proof at our fingertips, we can Google something in a millisecond. I think more of us do want this proof or something concrete. We don't want the abstract quite as much. But when you think about how the scientific process works, it starts with a completely unproven theory that they might spend decades just trying to see if it has any grounds. And so even yes. with science, you have to put something out there that isn't concrete yet, and then you work to make it something more full. And I think that's kind of beautiful. It really is. 
it really begins with a hunch, an observation, seeing patterns, and then kind of coming up with a hypothesis, which is kind of like a question and continually living the questions, as Wilkie said. And then you start to test that hypothesis. And the interesting thing for me about science, too, is that your hypothesis may be quote unquote wrong. And that's actually incredibly valuable. (laughs) Yeah. So, and that gets published and that's powerful. And so science, real science really stays open continually to the unknown, continually asking questions. One thing that I was struck by when I was researching you for this interview was that you say that finding our why is important in the artist process. And we talk about that a lot just in finding passion or basically finding a North Star for where you're taking your life. How does your why apply to artistic creation? I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? 
It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash mindlove. How does your why apply to artistic creation? Well, I believe our why, it's like that deep underpinning of what's meaningful to you, what you're passionate about, what you have been passionate about that maybe you've forgotten. The great French philosopher Camus said something along the lines of, we spend our whole lives trying to get back to that one or two things or images in which our heart first opened. And I think there's deep truth to that. It's like, what is so deep in you and that you love? And again, you may have forgotten it. And then it arises 20 years later that drives you, that makes your heart stir. And I believe that the reason why I'm very interested in getting at the why for artists is that I think that this will kind of lead them to their deepest work. We want to go deeper. We don't want to stay on the surface. It's very easy to kind of scratch the surface and move off of it and do something else. But in working in a series, we go deeper and into whatever is emerging, whatever is coming up. It might be, I want to explore this particular color or some forms that I've seen in nature or just this concept of continuous line and so on. And I really believe it fuels deep, authentic work where your heart sings. So would that happen on an individual basis per piece of art? Is it a series or is it more of a driving line through your work as an artist? Well, it could be any of those. I think it generally, I kind of think of it as more of a driving force field. Uh, just And it's like ongoing dialogue with yourself of, Staying tuned in and present to yourself of what's meaningful to you, what makes your heart sing, what activates you. And I'm very big on documenting this, keeping an artist journal, keeping a journal, just even jotting down little notes. It doesn't have to be anything extravagant. But really, by documenting what you love, you bring visibility to what may have been invisible. That makes total sense. I'm always talking about the power of journaling because I think that so much happens in our lives, even these little day-to-day -day moments that we let slip by. But when you start to document even something like a food journal or a mood journal or whatever it is that you're trying to manage, you start to see patterns that would have slipped by if you hadn't have brought them to light. And so that makes so much sense to me when you're creating art to document maybe little feelings or ideas or even questions you have about your work as you're going through? Yes, we do a lot on noticing, you know, observations, kind of like a scientist, revelations, ahas, areas of difficulty, challenge, areas where elation, where things are going, going well. And the artists have found this to be so valuable when they look back over that a year later and see where they are now. You write a lot about the hero's journey of creating art. What do you mean by that? The hero's journey was 
elaborated and articulated very well by Joseph Campbell in The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And it really is this kind of underlying structure that is found in great literature, film, stories. And it's really reflecting these cycles in our life. And so it goes something like this. You're going along in your life and you start to notice something. You start to notice that you're yearning for something and you want to go on an expedition or you want to start writing in your journal or you want to choreograph a dance or something like that. You want to learn an instrument. So this is calling you. And You know, at first it's kind of like exciting, but then there's a part of you that refuses because you say to yourself, well, it's too late, or I don't have enough time right now. I'll get to that later, or I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not really that creative. I'm not a writer. I'm not an artist. You know, these are the refusals, but then it keeps calling you. It won't let you go. And eventually you just can't take it any longer. And it might be 20 years later. But you finally say, yes, I'm going to try this thing. And the moment you say yes to going on this journey, to to trying this thing, you're plunged into perils. And the perils are fear. It's the self-doubt. It's the inner criticism. It's the judge. It is procrastination. It is second-guessing. It's all of these things. and yet on this journey, guides show up. My favorite story of all time is Dante's Inferno of Dante Alighieri, where Dante kind of found himself in the dark wood. In the middle of the road of my life, I awoke in a dark wood and the true way was wholly lost. Those words by Dante. So he was lost. And so he's kind of started on this journey, but he's lost. And in that moment of feeling lost, the great pagan poet Virgil shows up. And I believe that guides show up for us as well. It might be the teacher, a mentor. It might be another writer, whatever it is. They show up and they kind of help us to keep going, even as we're afraid. But then eventually we hit the dark night of the soul. And this is the moment of greatest self-doubt. And this is the moment really the guide can't really go there with you necessarily. You kind of have to face yourself in this moment. They can't do it for you. But I believe that this moment of the greatest self-doubt, it kind of maps onto the middle of the painting or perhaps the middle of the novel. You just feel like giving up. But still, something, if you can hold on and get through that dark night, you will begin to develop more trust in yourself. That, for me, is the transformation of allowing yourself to keep going. And so then you kind of come through that, and you come through that darkest night. You get some kind of transformation, such as trust, and then you come back into your life. That's the return, only for this cycle to begin again when something else calls you. And the something else that calls you might be another painting, or it might be another chapter in that book you're writing. (laughs) It could be anything. And so this maps onto, for me, the artist's journey as artists were continually facing all these cycles that I described there. And we see this in the great stories. 
the hero faces the perils and the guide shows up and the hero has the moment of greatest despair, but somehow comes through transformed. I can relate to that. I was just going through my keynote process while you were saying that. I was like, yep, that happened. Oh, that time I cried like a toddler for three hours. Yep, that happened too. (laughs) Um, But it's interesting to me though, because a lot of times when we go through something and it's really hard, there can be fear that lives in our body to want to show up for that thing again. But there's something kind of different that I've noticed in the creative process. And I think you said the right word with trust, where if you would have asked me in the middle of that deeply painful moment where for some reason I could only get through 15 minutes of my keynote and I sat on the rest of it for like three weeks and then all of a sudden the last 45 minutes just flew out of me. It was crazy. (laughs) But during that painful three weeks, I was miserable. All I kept thinking was, I'm not cut out for this. There's no way I'm going to be able to write another one if it always feels like this. But ever since I got through that, it was like I learned something more about myself and I realized, wow, this is what it feels like on the other side. And Mm -hmm. I feel more willing to show up again. Mm, Yes, that this is what I've experienced personally and also seen in artists that I've worked with is if you can hold on through that dark night, that dark night of the soul, that moment you really just want to give up and walk away because nothing is seemingly happening. And I believe that when it seems like nothing is happening, a lot is happening, bubbling up under the surface. Those three weeks when you were sitting on it, things were bubbling up. They were gestating. And I think Clarissa Pinkola Estes and Women Who Run With The Wolves talks a lot about this. In those quiescent times when nothing seems to be happening, there's a lot happening. And it's like, don't give up. Hold on through that dark night. I had a student who had a painting that was just giving her fits. And she hated this painting. She hated it so much that she turned it away towards the wall so she would only see the back of it. And she couldn't see the painting. And she kind of abandoned it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And when she heard this story about the dark night, she realized she needed to turn it back around and let it live and allow it to be. And this kind of reminds me of this play by Pirandello. It's called Six Characters in Search of an Author, where how these characters turn to the audience. I was in Cambridge, Massachusetts years ago. They turned to us and they were kind of like saying, you know, this isn't fair. You all get to go home and live your lives and be alive. But we are these characters in this play and we have to keep replaying these scenes over and over again. And don't you realize that we're alive? And this isn't fair that we have to keep repeating this, almost like a Groundhog Day scenario. They, you know, It was kind of eternal return. They weren't saying that, but that's what I was thinking. But we're really alive, and we want this playwright to write more stories for us so we can live. And so it's kind of like your work of art, your keynote, your painting is alive. And it's asking you to give it life, to be patient sometimes, to come back to it, to not give up on it. When you are in that dark night of the soul, though, sometimes it feels just like, I'm not cut out for this. I'm not any good. Sometimes it just feels like, oh, I'm having a writer's block or a creativity block or whatever. What are your tips to get through those moments and actually keep creating? Is it to step away? Is it to 
just create more ugly things? What do you do? Well, the mind does say, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I'm not any good. That is that deepest self-doubt. And I think number one is to recognize it, to kind of step back from that moment, kind of with mindfulness and look at it and say, oh, yeah, okay, yes, this is what I'm saying to myself. It's kind of predictable that I'm really riddled with self-doubt right now because I'm in this moment of struggle. I don't know what to do with this piece, this keynote, this painting, this writing. Sometimes it is to get up and go for a walk, do something else for a while, maybe write in your journal, maybe do something physical, some getting away, but then there's coming back and tackling it again and facing facing those doubts. So sometimes what we'll do when you're really, really in a bad way is that's when we go, okay, let's create 20 starts. Let's activate the canvas with starts. If you're a writer, let's get in there and just start automatic writing in a journal and see what emerges. Because sometimes what's happened in that dark night, oftentimes I think, is the critic has gotten so activated, the inner critic, that we're kind of paralyzed. And that's driving that self-doubt. And so we want to kind of find ways around that. And for me, that's lots of starts, lots of automatic painting or automatic writing, because I write as well. It's like overpowering that inner critic's voice a little bit and saying, no, I can do this. Yeah. It's saying, I'm going to go ahead anyway. Yeah, this is incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, this piece right here, this writing might not work right now, but that's okay. This painting may not work right now. That's okay. These five paintings may not work right now. That's okay. I've been here before, and I'm going to just keep chipping away at it. Another thing I find interesting is figuring out when a piece is done. Being okay, saying, okay, this is the final piece, and not constantly updating it or constantly tweaking it. I know I've done that with pieces of writing, (laughs) with things that I've drawn. And so it's hard. It's just being okay with, okay, this is this final piece. Let me move on to the next one. What is that process like for you? Well, one of the things that I ask myself is this rhetorical question, is anything ever really done? And that kind of cuts through that a bit. That kind of helps me. And another one is this kind of saying that a painting is like a river. It's never finished. It's kind of the idea that you could stop it in a million different places, but it's really up to you, the author, the composer, the writer, the artist, to just stop wherever you'd stop. I have a friend who's an abstract figurative artist, and she has a prolific artist. And she says that at some point, she just has to ship those paintings out because otherwise she'll just keep noodling that painting and keep working on it because there's no real stopping point and you don't want to lick the painting to death. I think you have to kind of trust yourself when you feel, yes, this feels like enough right here. And only you can decide that. You developed the Creativity and Consciousness television series, and you interviewed a bunch of artists about their creative processes. Was there anything that you learned that really stood out to you during that time when you just were able to get an insight into the creative processes of so many artists? Yes. I think that was when I began to realize that it boiled down to the inner landscape. 
of trusting yourself. Because no matter what your genre is, you've got to face yourself. It's like Beowulf taking down Grendel the monster. You've got to wrestle down your fears and you've got to wrestle down your self-doubt and somehow go ahead anyway. And this is an inside job (laughs) that it's like very interior. It's very much about kind of your inner narrative. And so I realized that the work of helping people to believe in and trust themselves and hold that sense of allowing as they create was one of the most powerful things that could help them. When you think about the times that you have created your deepest art or that painting that you're the most proud of, what do you think set that one apart or what was going on both inside and outside that helped you create something so meaningful? Well, and so I, you know, in those paintings like that, there are these paintings that are durch komponiert, that's German for through composed. They are just all there every stage. And they're kind of rare you know, in a certain way. Some paintings just kind of flow. And it really seems that a large part of that was getting out of the way. And it's kind of like those magical works that felt the deepest did not come from the thinking mind, from the strategic mind. They did not come from planning. They came out of allowing. They came from getting out of the way. And one piece in particular, I wasn't even trying to make a painting. It literally, I was just moved some paint over because I had some extra paint on my palette, made a few moves. I was just kind of exploring something. I was like deeply experimenting. And it was just a few moves. It was very minimalist, but it was one of the most magical paintings I've ever created. Do you find that you are most proud of yourself when something like that happens where you think, wow, I just did this so free and fluid and I didn't get in my own way? Or the times where You end up in the dark night of the soul for a long time, but you find a way to break through. Which has a bigger impact on you? Wow, that's a really good question. (laughs) Because the latter is really kind of akin to redemption. To redeem the painting is so gratifying. To redeem a painting that you pretty much have given up on is quite magical. And again, that doesn't always happen. There are many paintings that just simply don't work for us. They just don't work for us. And that's okay. Actually, it's really important to have all of that as well. So that's massively gratifying. I'm not sure that one is more compelling than the other. Because at the same time, there's this magic when without struggling. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure I can answer that. One thing that has been just a huge thread in my life lately, or the more I interview people, what keeps coming down as a common denominator is that through all of this, through everything, whether we're trying to develop creativity or resilience or strength or hardships, it's all about developing a deeper relationship with ourselves. And I think that's why that question's so hard to answer because one is learning a little bit more to live in your flow state and learn how to get to that fluid part where your mind doesn't get in your own way. And the other one is 
learning to overcome the things that need to be overcome in your mind. And they're both so significant to the process of developing a relationship with yourself. Beautifully stated. I agree wholeheartedly. And I am huge on really developing your relationship to yourself and cultivating self-compassion. That's so true. I think it was really freeing when I realized that our brains have a negative bias. <laughs> and so so many of us beat ourselves up because we're constantly beating ourselves up. And then it's this cycle <laughs> that we can never get on top of. But when you realize that if you let your brain just you leave it to its own devices, it's going to beat itself up. That's what it does. That's what the negativity bias does. So the whole journey of getting to know yourself and your strengths is all so that you can combat that and find that more authentic version of you that your brain is just automatically trying to beat up. <laughs> so if you realize it's just the process, it's easier yeah. to get around. Yeah, and it's interesting. It must confer some kind of survival to the beating up process. <laughs> Maybe in the far reaches of time, it kept us safe, but now it's getting in the way. <laughs> exactly. And it did. That is where it comes from. It was the survival mechanism of, you know, when we're surviving tigers and bears, <laughs> we're meant to look for the harm, to look, seek out the bad, to seek out what could be dangerous to us and hone in on that. We don't need it as much anymore because we're all sitting on our Casper mattresses under these buffy blankets. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I am obviously overwrought with Instagram ads, but <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for giving us insight into your process and just helping us to see how much it relates to our own humanness. It's been such a fun and wonderful conversation. So for listeners who are interested in learning more about you, where is the best place for them to connect with you online? Well, thank you so much, Melissa, too. This has been amazing, the connection of art and life and creativity. Online, people can find me at nancyhillis.com. Okay, so today's weekly challenge is easy. Play, just play. Do anything creative. Get parts of your brain moving that aren't used to moving. I don't care if you have to stick your hand in a bucket of paint and just start smearing all over your walls. Although if you have other family members that wouldn't really respect that, you might wanna ask first. If you have a creative outlet that you actually love, like painting or drawing or writing or singing, Go for that. Go for the thing that really lights you up. But if you don't have one of those, or even if you do, and you want to explore something new, try something that you're not used to doing. This activates different parts of your brain that you're not used to using. So maybe you're a singer and you want to draw, or maybe you want to write poetry that you don't pressure yourself to be good. Or maybe you just want to see what sounds your voice and your body can make. That's totally cool too. All of these are creative ways to express yourself and all of them are good for you. The thing is, is too often when we sit down to create, we get worried about messing it up. We're worried about messing up something that isn't even alive yet. It hasn't even come to fruition, which is so crazy when you think about it. I bought an adult coloring book and I haven't drawn on one page because I'm worried that I'm not gonna like the color combinations. How crazy is that? The coloring book was $7.99 on Amazon Prime and I still haven't colored it in. So instead it's just taking space in my closet 
And I'll tell you what, it's neither sparking creativity nor joy. What is it doing there? So what I want you to do is create something, whether it ends up beautiful or ugly. And I'm going to give you bonus points for ugly. I want you to just create without thinking about the reasons or the why or whose fridge it's going to hang on. This exercise is for your brain, not for your fridge. Also, I think this week, nothing would bring me greater joy than seeing the beautiful slash ugly creations that you guys have all come up with. So take a picture and post it on Instagram and tag Mind Love Melissa or Mind Love Podcast or both. Okay, then. Thank you for coming to my creativity TED Talk. All of the links mentioned in this episode are at mindlove.com slash 083. And if one of the sponsors called out to you, please support our sponsors. They are what keeps the show running. They keep me fed and I love them all. If you're enjoying Mind Love, tell a friend, family member, or coworker about it, or screenshot your podcast app and just post it to Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe. And also for extra inspiration between episodes, you can sign up for the Morning Mind Love at mindlove.com or by texting morning to 444-999 or follow me on social at mindlovemelissa or mindlovepodcast. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 